Kia ora and welcome to this episode of the Amateur Austenite. I'm Frances Duncan, an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand. My very special guest today is Cheryl Ernst, the Regional Coordinator of JASNA Hawaii. Aloha! I've been a Jane Austen fan for most of my life. I think I first met her in sixth grade and read superficially jumping ahead for the plot points and have been reading with increasing appreciation ever since. I mean, that's one of the great things about doing it chapter by chapter. You can't just get entirely caught up in the plot. You've got to look at all the nuance. Right. You slow down and really think about word choices, character development. So today we're going to be discussing Letter 41 of Lady Susan by Jane Austen, and Cheryl is going to read it for us. This is Mrs. Vernon to Lady de Courcy, which by now you know is her mother, Churchill. My dear madame, your letter has surprised me beyond measure. Can it be true they are really separated and forever? I should be overjoyed if I dared depend upon it. But after all I have seen, how can one be secure? And Reginald really with you. My surprise is the greater, because on Wednesday, the very day of his coming to Parklands, we had a most unexpected and unwelcome visit from Lady Susan, looking all cheerfulness and good humor, and seeming more as if she were to marry him when she got back to town than as if parted from him forever. She stayed nearly two hours, was affectionate and agreeable as ever, and not a syllable, not a hint was dropped of any disagreement or coolness between them. I asked her whether she had seen my brother since his arrival in town, not, as you may suppose, with any doubt of the fact, but merely to see how she looked. She immediately answered, without embarrassment, that he had been kind enough to call on her on Monday, but she believed he had already returned home, which I was very far from crediting. Your kind invitation is accepted by us with pleasure, and on Thursday next, we and our little ones will be with you. Pray heaven Reginald may not be in town again by that time. I wish we could bring dear Frederica too, but I am sorry to add that her mother's errand hither was to fetch her away, and miserable as it made the poor girl, it was impossible to detain her. I was thoroughly unwilling to let her go, and so was her uncle, and all that could be urged we did urge. But Lady Susan declared that as she was now about to fix herself in town for several months, she could not be easy if her daughter was not with her, her masters, etc. Her manner, to be sure, was very kind and proper, and Mr. Vernon believes that Frederica will now be treated with affection. I wish I could think so, too. The poor girl's heart was almost broke at taking leave of us. I charged her to write to me very often, and to remember that if she were in any distress, we should be always her friends. I took care to see her alone that I might say all this, and I hope made her a little more comfortable. But I shall not be easy till I go to town and judge of her situation myself. I wish there were a better prospect than now appears of the match, which the conclusion of your letter declares your expectation of. At present, it is not very likely. Yours, etc., Catherine Vernon. It's an interesting choice for the final letter, Mrs. Vernon and Lady de Courcy, because you'd expect it to be Lady Susan. It's almost like someone else is taking over the narrative. Certainly, uh, Lady Susan's has been the prominent voice, always giving us insight into her thinking and her planning. I think it was the last letter. I was drawing comparisons between the Catherines, Lady de Courcy and Mrs. Vernon, mother and daughter, between them and... Lady Susan, the fact that they're also scheming in a way. They're also scheming for who they want Frederica to marry and who they want Reginald to marry, i.e. each other. 
But how does that make them different from Lady Susan? Yes, they're not vicious about it, but is it different? They are very manipulative. I suppose the difference is that uh, they are thinking at least in part of Reginald's happiness, where Lady Susan is thinking of her own interests, in part because she can, because she likes to toy with him, part because she always wants to be the winner, in part because she's considering, will he be a good match? He's not a man-mooring who is her ideal, which I read uh, one review points to where she compares them and the thing that she cites as making man-wearing preferred candidate is his devotion to her, where Reginald would actually doubt her. Yet yeah, Reggie's a lot of work. She's got to explain every action to him to get him on side. That does sound exhausting. And she does at one point express some irritation with that. The other interesting thing about Reginald is is just his role as sort of the hero is not very heroic in being so easy to manipulate. Yeah, and he comes into it, someone when we were reading it referred to him as pompous at the start, going, oh, Lady Susan's such a terrible person and all of this, and thinking himself so superior to her. And this is not something that you would expect of a hero. And then he goes on a very different journey where he gets completely deceived by her. And unless he's taking the more, uh, you tend to say, feminine role of being seduced by somebody and then kind of saved by the hero. But I guess the hero in that case would be his mother and sister. Yeah, Reginald is not a likely hero, but then this is not a likely novel because technically Lady Susan is the main character that would make her the hero if we're being genderless. But she doesn't have, uh, or her love interest would be, well, is it Reginald or is it Mr. Mannering? You'd think Reginald because he's the one that appears on page. But it's not following the tropes and it's not following the expected things of a novel. Partly because of the character of Lady Susan. The main character does not come across as a heroine. She is more the villain. That's true. It kind of uh, an early version of, uh, you think of now the Disney movies coming out with uh, where the villains become the central character. Again, Jane Austen was ahead of her time. <laughs> but it is true that all her male leads have a fault. Read one discussion that Jane Austen was at this point toying with how much you can give the hero a fault without them becoming unlikable or unworthy. Mr. Darcy starts off as pompous, as overconfident that he can govern his own feelings. So there, there are shades of him in Reginald, but Reginald is sort of the comic parody of a Mr. Darcy. I mean, that's a really interesting point. I think she pushes it the furthest with Edmund Bertram in Mansfield Park. And a lot of people take issue with the fact that he, at the end, suddenly turns around and loves Fanny Price and will marry her and think that, you know, she deserves someone who's really devoted to her, who treats her well, because he's been a bit of a dick through the course of that book. Yeah, but some people still want them to be together and want it to be a happy ending. I suppose it depends on the reader how far you can take the hero away from, would we say, the ideal? Reginald doesn't have... <laughs> a voice in these letters 
for a couple of letters actually like the, the last letter we get from him is him basically ranting at lady susan but you know we get emotion from him that's right. something actually only three of the letters are from reginald i don't know if that is in part in uh, that women are the letter writers kind of know the least about him mm-hmm. uh except through others eyes this same scholar this is professor Teresa kenny of the university of dallas she said of austin's heroes reginald alone is like mr knightley and the ability to alleviate sorrow and tedium which his mother expresses he's valuable in that sense so there are other little tidbits where we we find you know he does have a sense of justice that he stands up for frederica when he thinks she's wrong he's rather annoying and how quickly he could be talked out of his version of the truth by lady susan's but uh but he's otherwise he does have good character that make him a worthy hero it is a very female-centric book if there's only three letters from reginald then there's one from his father that means one-tenth of the letters are from men and the other 90 percent of the letters are women so we're getting a really clear female perspective here. And it is the women that are driving the narrative for it. I mean, Lady Susan will always be driving her own narrative. But in these letters, we can see uh, the two Catherines trying to wrestle some of the power back from Lady Susan, perhaps. And Catherine Vernon seems to be the most clear-sighted of all. Even her mother will still hope for things that don't seem likely, will still take the more optimistic view. How did the younger Catherine get to be so worldly? Living off in the country, although clearly they do go to London, how did she learn to be such a judge of character? Yeah, she does seem to be very onto it, and she can see through Lady Susan, which comes through so often. But yeah, in this letter, she's expressing hesitation that her mother's not feeling. She says, how can one be secure? I wish there were a better prospect, but the match between Reginald and Frederica is not very likely. She's aware that Lady Susan could come in and muck things up again. And I mean, she has, because she's turned up again and stolen Frederica away. Frederica is her child, it's her right, but it does feel very much like she's taken against her will. Frederica doesn't want to go, the Vernons don't want her to go. And I really feel for her and they urged that they wanted to keep her like this is painful this is probably the only secure home frederick has ever known it makes me sort of curious does mrs vernon really appreciate frederica for her own merit which sort of like reginald we only get outside perspectives of frederica is it because she's young and innocent and needs protection and it's maternal feelings or has Frederica really shown herself to be someone that, that deserves the esteem? They uh, clearly want her as a daughter-in-law and sister-in-law. And is it merely that she's, you know, sweet and should be rescued? Or, you know, what are they seeing in Frederica that makes her worthy of Reginald? Because they do seem very maternal towards her, uh, Lady de Courcy and Mrs. Vernon. But then they want to marry her off. She's 16. People did get married at 16 during this time period, but it is still quite young. And she seems quite young when they talk about her as well. And they have these lovely maternal feelings for her, but then they want to make her a woman by marrying her off. Well, she's still in school. That's an indication of her youth. 
that she hasn't left school yet. Well, is not supposed to have left school yet if she hadn't run away. I guess it goes back to, you know, what, what other option is there for Frederica? Home with her mother or a home with a husband? That may run into it, too, that if she's married to somebody else, she's secured from her mother having that power over her. And they know that she's not happy with her mother. What is the best way to ensure her mother cannot get her again, get her under somebody else's protection? Potentially, that's what they're thinking. Well, and certainly they uh, are not impressed with the choice of Sir James as an option. Another point that uh, this discussion made was that in terms of marriage prospects, Sir James and Reginald are pretty equivalent. They both have or will have money, have or will have a title, have or will have property. I guess with Sir James, it's already secured. With Reginald, you have to wait until uh, father's out of the picture. But they're both, from a strictly materialistic standpoint, good husband prospects. We're not given exactly how much money they have, but considering we assume they're about the same rank, they're probably equivalent funding as well. Right, able to travel, have have the property. So, of course, Sir James, I'm sure, is much easier to manipulate than Reginald. So as a son-in-law prospect, he uh, would be more attractive. I don't know how Lady Susan does it. I mean, particularly in this period of time when, when men had all the power, manipulated him in such a way where he will do whatever she wants, but also manipulate him to be in love with her daughter and her, it seems, maybe at the same time, when the daughter is not at all interested in him. How do you... That is some skill. Well, and it's uh, sort of like Harriet and Emma who can be persuaded to be in love with three men in the course of a year, you know, it, I guess Reginald is, can he be persuaded to be in love with more than one person within a year? His mother and sister think so and don't think that that would be unusual. Is it something to do maybe with a powerful mind working on a weak mind? Lady Susan does appear briefly in this better we don't hear her exactly but she's all cheerfulness and good humor and affectionate and agreeable she stays two hours which is a very long time for a visit because you know they have the 10-15 minute visits normally but considering she's traveled to get there I suppose two hours makes sense but it's almost the rest of the horses but it feels almost like she's I'm just here to show you that everything's fine. Nothing's wrong. Obviously, I'm going to take my daughter, but everything's fine. I wouldn't want you to think that Reginald could touch my heart or make me unhappy. That's true. She's always playing that role. I don't think she, does she ever express herself uh, in a negative way to anyone other than her closest friend? I don't think she does. She fronts all the time. Safe space. How does she have money now to go to London? She's going to fix herself in London for several months. I mean, maybe it was the the rents, the the year is turned over because, you know, they get money at at certain points in the year and that's when she's got the money and, you know, she'll spend it up till the rent day and then we'll wait till the next one. But it just seems a little odd that she basically had to go to Churchill because she couldn't afford to, to live anywhere by herself. And now she's, I'm going to go and live in London, you know, the most expensive place to live in this time period, in the UK at least. Or we say England. We would say England at this time, wouldn't we? That is a good point. And to be talking about securing masters. Of course, I don't believe that's what's going to happen. Neither does Mrs. Vernon. I wish I could. 
She wants to believe that Frederica will be treated well and she wants to believe that Frederica will get her education, but doesn't look like it's going to happen. Well, it makes you wonder, is she being supported by someone, by man wearing or Sir James Martin? Is I don't think Alicia can be footing the bill any longer. Although I have to back up and think what's actually in the letters and what was in the, in the movie Love and Friendship, which I have to say gave me a much greater appreciation for going back and reading the letters. When I'm reading an epistolary, find myself jumping and trying to picture now who's talking to who and, and having seen the movie, it was great because then I could kind of put a face and hear a voice as I read the letters. So it, it made the going much easier. But I have to remember the things that were added for the sake of a movie that uh, might not actually be there in the letters. In Love and Friendship, Lady Susan accepts a loan from Sir James, and that's how she affords to go to London. And we see Alicia being threatened with her husband of being cut off and and, uh, taken to America if she continued her relationship. I didn't like that she was American in the movie, but so many of the other changes that they made were really good. I see you've done your homework. I did a little reading. One of the interesting points was that the music that Jane Austen played, I suppose it would be the lyrics of the songs that she is known to have had in her repertoire, some of them had to do with sort of the sentimentalism versus pragmatic cynicism, which comes across in this. Some of the tropes of the characters here, if you go back to uh, classic Roman comedies, you see figures uh, such as Ancilla, a maid of wit and vitality and tart language, uh, very Lady Susanish, that would have been familiar to Jane Austen's father and her brothers. So when we remember that in her early writing, she was really writing for families, it sort of fits that she would draw on these familiar characters that her family would have been familiar with. And also that 18th century heroes were fascinated by older women. It was sort of a stereotype that eventually they lose interest and marry a younger, more innocent woman. So those were not things that she invented, but she certainly applied them delightfully. Certainly welcome people to check out our JASNA Hawaii website, which is JASNA, Jane Austen Society of North America, J-A-S-N-A, Hawaii.org. And we don't have frequent events, but we do online discussions uh, uh, for our book group and invite anyone to join in those. So check us out and, and join us when you're able to. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Francis. And that is our discussion of letter 41 of Lady Susan by Jane Austen. I'm Francis Duncan, and this has been Cheryl Ernst. Links will be in the notes. Thank you for listening, and we wish you happy reading. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. That seems a little weird to me, but if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch, and some Pride and Prejudice Heavily Pride-focused merch too. It's on Redbubble and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!